children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. And if you grab your Bible and turn to uh, Colossians, we're going to start our reading in chapter 2. We'll start at verse 6. I want to thank you uh, for the opportunity to, uh, to be away last week. We got to celebrate uh, with my six and my brother's six and my mom and dad. Uh, we went to a... Uh, place up in Lewis and got to spend uh, some time celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, uh, which was fantastic. And uh, my mom sent me this card with all these like, you know, wonderful, excellent, you know, fantastic. We had such a great time and I got all this credit and all these kid points. My wife did like, what, 60% of the work and my sister-in-law did the other 60% 60% of the work, and I got to sit back and just get all the, the, the glory and uh, credit, and it's fantastic. I did say, I kept on saying, it was all Nancy, it was all Nancy and Carrie, but uh, thank you for the opportunity. It was a blessing to, to be away and just uh, spend some time uh, enjoying them and, uh, and, and, and celebrating their, their marriage. So... Uh, We're going to read, starting in in verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2, and then we're going to pray, and we will will spend some time uh, in the explanation of God's word. The scriptures say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray and turn to the explanation of God's word. Father, I thank you that of all the people on the earth, seven billion people, as we spent time discussing in our adult Bible study this morning with our our friends, the Zelinskys, uh, missionaries to Papua New Guinea, Lord, you, you have entrusted us with your word. Uh, there, are, there are billions of people who don't have your word in their language. 
uh, billions who have no missionary headed to them. But Lord, for some reason, you blessed us with this grace that we would have your word and be able to hear it and to know it and for it to make sense and for us to have multiple, multiple copies of it in our homes and the ability to read it on our phones. And there is so much blessing. Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude that you have given us this grace. Father, I also ask that by your grace, you would help us to appreciate the message of the scriptures. It is not telling us to be good in order to be saved. Instead, it tells us to put our faith and trust in Christ. That he, taking our sins upon himself, living a perfectly righteous life, creates a way for us to be right with you. He makes it so that we can live in right relationship with you. Lord, help us to see that. And as we attempt to live the Christian life, as we seek to live lives full of gratitude, obeying you because of your great love for us and not not obeying you out of a desire to earn your affection, Father, I pray that you would protect us from each and every trap, every mental prison or every philosophy or every religious persuasion that seeks to rise up and take us captive to turn the spotlight away from Jesus and to put it onto something else, specifically something that we believe or something that we do, which somehow in our mind translates to making us more secure in your sight, more holy, better. Father, I pray that you would show us from this word from your servant, Paul, our brother, that we would see that this is a uh, this is captivity. It's it's bondage. It's being dragged into something which is not the gospel at all, Father. And so I pray that you would encourage us from the truth. Teach us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, Well, about 10 years ago. Uh, I was completely and utterly obsessed with a television show called Lost. Uh, To this day, do not mock my TV show here. No laughter concerning Lost at all. Uh, I remember the very first time I I got a DVD in the mail, right, from Netflix back in the day, right? Netflix did not send information to your television. They sent information through the postal service on a disc called a DVD. Right? And you could, you could put the DVD in your, uh, in your DVD player and watch, and then you put it back in the mail and send it back to them, and then they would send you more DVDs. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and you could actually, back then, watch anything you want, not the junk that they just put on your screen and said, this is what you want to watch, right? No, I want to watch this, and they would send it to you. It was amazing. Um, and so we got this, this DVD from Lost, and I remember watching the verse, first two episodes uh, and, and thinking, this is incredible. And Nancy came home from somewhere, and she came into the room where I was watching TV, and she said, what are you watching? Can I watch? I said, I will watch these two episodes with you again, but we are watching all four tonight. There were four episodes on the disc. I said, if I show these to you, like we are watching the whole thing. The, the first moments of this show were just so heart-pounding and intense as this. It's been out for over 10 years, okay? If I'm ruining it for you, tough, um, right? They, they, these folks crash land. They, we, don't, we don't see the crash. We just see everybody waking up from the crash on this island, and there's just chaos, and, and people are in need, and this guy who's a doctor is running back and forth trying to help and stabilize everybody. And the first, like, Two or three episodes are, are getting everybody settled down after the crash, and they're on this remote island, and they're living out of the wreckage of the plane, and, and how are they going to survive? And, and you, you, you feel for these people. You want them, you want them to, to live. And then you realize that something else is on this island. And it's 
one by one, slowly but surely, grabbing the survivors and dragging them off, and they vanish. It's like, it's the, okay, it's the greatest beginning to a television show ever, right? By the time you get to, like, Lost Season 5, it's gone. It's like, this show is, the show is designed to be watched and enjoyed in Season 1. By the time you get to, like, Season 3, you can stop watching. If something else interesting comes on TV, watch that. The whole focus in season one is stay on the beach. Don't get dragged away. Don't get taken captivity. Paul teaches us that this story is the same in the Christian life, that the stakes are higher. It's not just I want my favorite character to live and keep being on the show. It's that our whole spiritual well-being is at stake when it comes to our focus in the Christian life. Paul teaches us in Colossians that once we find Jesus, we need to make very sure that we don't lose him again, that we don't become distracted and drawn off course. Once we've found him, we need to avoid getting taken captive. So the structure of Colossians up to this point, Paul greets the Colossians, he prays, and then he gives us a slice of Jesus like you've never seen. There's this picture of Jesus that's presented to us. Uh, some scholars who, who, who study the New Testament, they say this is the, the densest, fullest, most glorious vision of Jesus that shows up in the scripture, right? In terms of who he is. If you want to see the, the, the visual uh, effect of who Jesus is, go look at Revelation 1. But in terms of, of his identity and the, the depth of who he is and his character and his titles, they're here in Colossians 1. And then Paul throws down a challenge in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. I think many people hear it and they substitute an idea into Colossians 2, 6 and 7, and they miss the point. The challenge shows up in 2, 6, and 7. And then Paul will expand and talk about four things that could drag us away. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the vision of Jesus. And then I want to talk about the danger. And then I'm going to try to get through four things. But it's probably not going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to try uh, there. But I think there'll be benefit in trying. Uh, the vision of Jesus, this is what Paul says about who he is. He says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created. Everything, things in heaven and things on the earth, things that are visible and things that are invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And you might say, what are those things? We don't know. They're spiritual powers. But the, but the people in the city of Colossae had been taught, uh, they, were, they were, had false teachers among them teaching them that, that there were all these different kinds of spiritual beings. And Paul says, you know all those things that you keep hearing about, thrones and dominions and rulers, Jesus made them all. And if you make something in Bible, uh, in, in the biblical worldview, if you make something, you have power and authority over it, right? You're scared of all that stuff? Jesus made all that stuff. Don't worry about it. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Paul says it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. There's no single thing spiritually that we need that that we need in a savior that we need in a hero there's no no thing lacking in Jesus he possesses everything it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
What, what Paul is, is teaching the church here is that if there's anything that is warped between the relationship of God and man, if there's anything that's broken or busted or anything that's messed up, if our sins interfere with our relationship with God, if the intentions and thoughts of our hearts ruin that relationship, if, if our lack of holiness would keep us from heaven, Jesus fixes all of that for us. When he says right here, through Jesus, he reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. All things. And then he says, although you were formerly alienated from God, right? Your relationship was busted. You were hostile in mind. You weren't like, oh, God, please save me. You were like, hey, God, I'm not going to do what you say or listen to your will or want the things that you want. I'm not going to do anything that you're after. I'm going to do things that I want. That's hostility towards God. We were engaged in evil deeds. That's our condition. Alienated, hostile, actively doing evil. Yet, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. The penalty for defying God, for resisting his will, for not embracing his way is death. Right? That's the difference between uh, a government of the people, for the people, by the people, right? You know, we have a justice system and there are different penalties that are handed out for different crimes, right? If you ride through a red light, you know, they send you a picture of you riding through the red light on a camera and then you pay them $40 and it's over, right? And nobody ever brings it up again. They don't kill you for that. But God is holy and pure and completely and utterly righteous in any deviation from his will because he created us to be holy and righteous and to live in dependence on him, not independent from him, but dependent on him, living in his way and conformed to his image. Any deviation from that must be separated from him forever. He's that holy. We think that doesn't sound very fair. That's evidence that we're not holy. Right? We feel like everybody makes mistakes. Aha! Not God. He doesn't. But who can live under this system? No one can. And so he sends a perfect Savior to live a perfect life. And then that life, that righteousness, is credited to us when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Jesus. Uh, Though we were alienated, hostile, and engaged in evil, he reconciles us in his fleshly body through death. He takes our penalty and dies for us. Uh, A while ago, I forgot to pay one of those tickets, the the traffic light ticket. It wasn't actually a traffic light ticket. It was a your easy passes in the other car ticket. And uh, they were going to charge me like 96 bucks or some nonsense like that, this administrative fee. And, and so the, the penalty was going to come down, and they were like, yeah, we're going to apply that to you today. And I said, today? You're going you're to inflict the punishment today? And they said, yeah. Well, while I was talking to the person on the phone, I went to the website, right? And I quickly paid my fine. I just I submitted the payment. And then so I was like, and there's no way I can avoid this. And she said, nope. She said, matter of fact, I'm going to process it right now. And she said, oh. Somebody's already paid your fine. <laughs> I was like, you know, the extra 56 bucks they were going to slap me with, I had paid the fine and I blocked them from inflicting. Yeah, right? Be, you, you, know, you can do a lot with the laptop. It's great. <laughs> this is the way it works for us. The penalty and punishment of God should come down on us because of our sins. But because Jesus has absorbed because he has stood in our place, because he has taken the punishment for us, there is no punishment to be handed out. He takes it completely. So Paul says he's reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if, and this is that scary condition that just kind of weirds everybody out, if indeed you continue in the faith, Firmly established, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation, and of which I, 
Paul was made a minister. Paul teaches us Jesus is the center of all creation. He's the sum of all God's essence. He's the solution to all of our problems. And so what does Paul teach us in this vision of Jesus? That God has provided a solution to our sin problem in Christ. And that our relationship with him is primary, preeminent, the most important thing that we need. If we don't have that relationship with Christ, then we have no hope of righteousness before God. Our sins are still on on us. And we will suffer the penalty for them if we don't figure out a way to deal with them. And by the way, there is no other way. Jesus enables us to achieve all the potential that God has created us for. The the scriptures say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've, We've failed to live up to God's standard and his glory. But Paul teaches us in Colossians 1.27 that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And hope isn't, I've said this a lot, hope's not like, I really, 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 really hope that this will happen. That's not Bible hope. Bible hope is I have a solemn secure, fully assured belief that this will happen. It's certainty that has not come to pass just yet. Not maybe it would be nice if this happened. He is the hope of glory, Christ in us. And so this is what Paul says in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. There's there's a danger in hearing that message And saying, yes, that's what I want, right? The danger is that we begin to think of of Christ and forgiveness from sin and union with him as the doorstep to the Christian life and not the path that we live on the whole of the Christian life. We think of, of Jesus as the gate to the country and not the country itself, right? Jesus is the Christian life. He is our righteousness. We don't start with Jesus and then move on to something bigger and better and more interesting and more challenging and exciting. This is why Paul says that God is, his desire is through Christ to present us before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And then he says, if indeed you continue in the faith. How could we not continue in the faith? You can continue or you can not continue by not walking in him. Listen to what Paul says, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed And overflowing with gratitude. Now, a a couple things can happen. You you may get like all theologically self-defensive when I when I say the next things. Okay, so just be, be careful. I'll tell you what you might do. You might say, "I received Christ as I received Jesus this way, and therefore this is what the sentence means, right?" And that's that's a danger. The other thing you might do is you might say, no, wait, what you're saying, you're, you're, you're adding something to the gospel. And that's not true. And that's the second danger. OK, I'll tell you what they are in a minute. Just telling you what you might do so that you watch out for them. OK, a lot of people think what Paul is saying here is, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. Oh, I received him by faith. I received him by faith. And therefore, I need to continue to walk in that way. So that's true, but that's if you're living in the book of Ephesians, okay? Ephesians 2 says that we are justified, that that we've received Jesus by grace through faith, right? That's how we're justified. It's not our works. No one can boast. It's God's gift. Uh, Nothing that we can do ourselves. But what Paul is saying here is that we received Jesus as the Lord, and so we need to walk in him. The danger here is that you might say, wait, 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 wait a minute. Are you saying that I don't just, I don't need to, 
I, I need to accept him by faith, but then also be completely and utterly obedient? No, that is not what I'm saying. Okay? All right? So, yes, you did receive him by faith. But what Paul is saying here is that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are believing in him as Lord. And when you look at the vision in Colossians 1, 15 through 23, that, that vision of who Jesus is, Paul is clearly saying that Jesus is our everything, that he's master, that he is uh, king, that he has authority, he's creator, he's the center of everything that exists, and he's the meaning of everything, and he is the sole source of our salvation. That's what Paul means when he speaks of, of Jesus as the Lord. He is not just the gate through which we enter the kingdom, he is the, the substance of everything. When Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's, he's saying that he's everything. And there are ways in which we can get off track if we're not careful. We've received Jesus Christ as, sorry, Christ Jesus the Lord. By the way, this is the only place in the New Testament that Paul ever says Jesus' name this way. Christ, Messiah, Jesus the Lord. And that's to signal to us that he's, he's doing something a little bit different here. We've received him as Lord, and so we're to walk in him in that same way. We're to be firmly rooted and be built up in him and established in our faith, just as we were instructed and overflowing with, with gratitude. The, the idea here is to be firmly rooted, to have a deep root system. If you've ever uh, done any tree work. I don't really do tree work. I own a sawzall. This is my solution. And, and you can cut trees up with a sawzall. A lot of people are like, I have a chainsaw. And I once went to help a buddy. With, he had two chainsaws and I brought my sawzall and he was laughing at me. And in like 20 minutes, his chainsaws were both non-functioning. And I stood there for the rest of the day and ran, ran the sawzall, which never stopped. We just need like four extension cords. Um, you know, this thing just cuts through everything. You know, so I've, I've climbed up trees in my backyard and I cut all the branches off and then I knock the trunk down and then I cut the trunk up, you know, and then you got to like get the roots out, right? And sometimes you, some trees you can just kind of cut around the roots that spread out like this. But then there are these trees that have this big central root that goes down. They call it a tap root. And man, that thing, you can't get that out. You can't knock that tree over a car when it's standing up. I mean, that root is like, that is, that is sunk down deep, firmly rooted. Nothing is moving that tree. It's like where the psalmist says in Psalm 1, a tree planted by flowing water. Have you ever seen a tree like on a riverbank? You know, the, the water flows through and the, the dirt erodes. But this tree has sat there and just drunk up water. Is it the right way to say that? Drunk up water? Drink up water for, for however many years it's been alive. And usually those trees, they've got like a thousand roots sticking out of them, right? It's like, it's just like root city there. You know, there's just, there's a ton of, of roots there. That tree's not going anywhere. It's dug in deep. Paul says that's the way we're supposed to look at Jesus. We're to sink our roots deep down into him. And we're to be built up in our faith. We're to, we're to have heavy armor on us. You know, uh, a castle, often they, they, would, uh, they would build the castle out of stone and then they would put walls around the castle and sometimes they'd put walls around the walls and they'd like uh, build uh, big wood constructions on those walls and that was so that when people shot catapult, cannonball things, catapult stones, you know, at the, at the city, that, that it would hit that thing made out of wood and it would bounce off. Or if there was like... Uh, uh, kerosene or whatever inside of that, you know, pitch, I think they call it, or tar, they would hit that wooden thing and it would catch on fire. You know what the soldiers would do? They would like disconnect it and they would throw it off the castle. And it was like, ta-da, look, the walls are intact. Because we built walls around our walls, heavily armored. 
That's the way we're supposed to view our faith in Christ. Extra walls of protection. We're to be built up in our faith. You don't just build a castle and put some walls around it and then put walls around the walls, right? And not store anything in the castle. No, you dig these deep vaults underneath your castle and you're like, put everything we're going to need to eat and drink and get weapons and more weapons and armor and more armor and stock all that stuff up so that when people are like, oh my goodness, we're going to need food. We need to leave the city and go get food. It's like, no, no, no. We have food already. By the way, do you know that you can order from Walmart? 30 days of food. Yeah, in a bucket. You can, from Sam's Club, you can get a pallet of food that feeds 360 people for 30 days. Why do I know this? I looked it up. It's $6,500 for the pallet of food, by the way, just in case. That'd be a cool Christmas gift for somebody, wouldn't it? Here's a ridiculous amount of food for you, you know? Um, I don't remember why I looked it up. It made sense at the time. Anyway, um, we sink our faith down deep. We root and ground ourselves and we lay up stores so that we are ready for the attacks that come against us. And then Paul includes an essential element here when he says that we're to be overflowing with gratitude. You know, all of the armor and defenses and everything that we can build around the Christian life means nothing if we don't have a strong sense of our own sinfulness, of our own need, and then gratitude based on what Jesus gives to us. When you feel like you are desperately lost apart from God, and you have no righteousness apart from him, or, or you feel like this word, just these aren't just words on a page. This is my lifeline to God. This is my connection to him. This is my understanding of him, and this is the truth. We then suddenly are filled with a deep gratitude. And that makes all of the defense and Bible study and prayer, it just, it makes it flow. It's like the oil in the car that keeps everything going, right? It's essential that we be filled with gratitude. And so how do we walk in him? Paul is saying here, in each and every situation that we encounter, we're to submit ourselves to the lordship and dominion of Christ over our life. Would a servant of Jesus do this? Would he act in this way? No, he would not. Then I won't. Would, would Jesus have me live this way? Yes. Would somebody who's grateful for what God has done behave this way or that way? No, they would not. And so I won't. It's, it's viewing everything through this lens of, of who Jesus is. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so Paul says, Make sure that you're not moved away from this. Continue to walk in this direction as you were instructed. Continue in the faith. Stand firm against everything that would distract you from being rooted, grounded, established in, and thankful for what you have in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Now here's four dangers. Paul says, focus on Christ and don't be drawn aside or distracted by these four traps. First, he says, watch out for philosophies. Colossians 2, 8 through 10 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you've been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. If, if another idea enters into the Christian life, if somebody's like, okay, now that you've got Jesus, you've got to master this, right? This idea, this thinking, this philosophy will enhance your Christian life and make it better because you don't have everything you need in Jesus. You need this extra thing. Paul says, we have to remember that in him we've been made complete. He's the head over all rule and authority. We don't need secondary authorities. We have what we need in Jesus. 
And so Paul says, watch out for those who want to take us captive. They'll say Jesus is the beginning, but you're called to move on to something bigger or better. Or they'll say this idea proves that that your simple faith in the saving work of Jesus is not enough. Whatever those ideas are. There are all kinds of ideas out there. Some people say you need to to take your Christian faith and add a political theory to it. You you will understand the true meaning of the Bible if you add this specialized theology to it, whatever that is. There are lots of cults out there that benefit from the fact that that people don't have a deep-rooted faith in Jesus. And they're like, oh, here, you can have this extra book. Right. That wasn't included in the Bible. We'll send you a free copy of it, you know, and that will enhance your faith. And a lot of people who feel like they're missing something or lacking something in the Christian life because they've not been taught or discipled. They've not been taught what they have in Christ. They will say, oh, that's awesome. Thank you for that. And they're led astray and taken captive. Cults. And even false teachers, you know, they really only exist where Christians have already gone and done the hard work of teaching people about the gospel. And then what they come in and, and do is they say, hey, there's, a, there's something that you're missing. And if you just have this, you'll be complete. You'll have everything. Paul says, watch out for that. You're complete in Christ. In Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. What else do we need? Or if somebody were to say to me, here, here is this energy drink. And in it, right, is all the energy that you'll ever need for the rest of your life. And you'll have amazing powers and you'll, you'll be able to answer every question that was ever asked of you. And you'll, you'll never lack for anything ever again. I would be like, give that to me. I, I will kill you for that. Right? Not really, because I'm a Christian. I wouldn't. Yeah. But we would do anything for that, right? To be complete and whole and to never need another thing. And yet, that's what God promises for us. But so many times we're drawn off into debates or thinking we need Jesus plus this. Paul says, no, in him dwells all the fullness. In him, you've been made complete. In Jesus resides all rule and authority. Colossians 2, then moving on to 16 through 17, Paul says to avoid legalism, not to allow anyone to act as your judge in verse 16 in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Those things are a shadow of what's to come. They're the past. And all of those things pointed to Jesus who would come one day. They were all figures and symbols. And so Paul says, watch out. And I think this is particularly something, this is particularly dangerous for kids who grow up in the church. Right? Kids who grow up in the church, what, what they generally, right, they, they have parents who got saved and who are like, we need to change our lives and we need to walk in obedience to God. And, and then these kids, what they learn is they learn that God is holy and that God has rules and that they're supposed to, you know, pray all the time. And they're supposed to read the Bible through in a year and they're supposed to, you know, pray for missionaries and to give. And they hear all these rules and then they think, if I don't do that stuff, then I'm bad. Right? And the very place that's designed to teach them that God is gracious and that He welcomes and loves us despite our failings and our flaws turns into a place of judgment for them. Because they think that they need to keep the rules perfectly, or that God requires some ongoing religious behavior that's observed without flaw in order to be saved. But what Paul says, what he teaches, what Jesus himself teaches is that he sets us free from the law. The law is there to to teach us the holiness of God and then to teach us that we fall short of it. And then it's there to show us that Jesus fulfills it for us. And then Paul teaches us that 
The one who has loved has fulfilled the intent or the purpose of the law. All of the Old Testament law is a shadow of the reality of Christ, which leads us up to this place where when we put our faith and trust in him, we're told you are now henceforth and forevermore. It can never be revoked. You are a child of God. You have the right to call yourself a child of God. And that means you're free from feasts and diets and religious holidays. There's no Christian diet book. Every now and again, this shows up. People are like, just follow this diet and you'll live till you're 90. You know, and this is the way that God commanded us to walk in the Old Testament. People are like, this is biblical. I need to do this. Like, we're better if we do this. People who push these things on us and we embrace them and we say, oh, yes, I need this in order to be a good Christian. We've allowed ourselves to be taken captive. And we lose the joy of what it means to have a savior when we embrace laws and rules. Paul points out the danger of personal spiritual experiences, what, what some people call ecstatic worship. Colossians 2, 18 through 19, he says, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen and inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Paul says, watch out that no one throw at you that they've had these amazing spiritual experiences and therefore they're superior to you. In seminary, uh, we had these these guys. um, We called them toppers, like from uh, the Dilbert comics, if you know Topper. Topper's the guy who, you know, whatever you say, this this guy, in one of the cartoons, he he made a spring-loaded chair. So that whenever anybody said that they had done anything great, he could like pull the lever on the chair and bounce through the office complex and land right next to them and say, oh, yeah, but I did this and it was better and bigger. Right. We had these these guys who we would we would be talking about our call to ministry. And I I can remember clearly sitting at a, a table talking about how I was sitting in Honduras in 1989. I was 15 years old and I was reading Isaiah chapter 6. Who will go for us? Here am I, send me. And just feeling like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. And then it was like, oh yeah. I was reading the Bible in my room. And it was dark. And then the whole room blazed with light and an angel was standing over the bed. And I'm like, come on. Knock it off, you know? People do this to you, don't they? They'll, they'll say, oh yeah, well, I prayed and this happened. Or I saw this. Or, you know, this was an experience that I had. And we've got people on the internet saying, oh, you know, if you, if you pray enough, like, and rub your hands together, look, you can look this stuff up. Like, don't get, don't get weirded out by it or believe it. Like, they, like, rub their hands together and coins fall out. You know, and they're like, look, God gave me the ability to make money. You can go to Hobby Lobby and buy a $10 magic trick set and learn how to do that. You know, you can learn how to make things appear. And if you know anything about kids, like you know how to pull coins out of their ears. Like that's basic, right? That's not magic. But these folks, they, they take advantage of people by saying, we've been given visions and you need to follow us. And you're not complete in Jesus. You need to listen to the things that God has told me and which I tell you. And they take advantage of people and take them captivity. Ephesians 1.3 says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That means that you lack nothing in him. God's given you everything. God calls us to be faithful and to put our faith and trust in Jesus and to follow him. These folks want to say, look at how sparkly and amazing and impressive my living of the Christian life is. Unless you've got what I've got, you're not complete. 
Isn't there enough of that on TV? I mean, I'm tired of that inward terror that I feel. Like, I'm just trying to watch a football game or something. And they're, like, showing termites eating my house. You know? And I'm like, would you stop, please? You know? People call up and they're like, are you covered? You know, are you, do you have enough insurance? And I'm like, what's enough insurance? You know, are you, Mr. Meyer, are you prepared in, in the unfortunate, I'm like, what, the unfortunate circumstance that one day I might die? It's going to happen. I know that. Like, is your insurance going to stop that? It's not. I don't need it. I'm covered. If you sell insurance, I'm good right now. But they come after us and they prey on fears and anxieties. And Paul says, don't let their devotion to God and their impressive stories get in your head. You've got what you need in Christ. I can remember sitting, sitting at a table at an event once and there was this pastor sitting there. I was a young pastor. I didn't know like enough to be able to say, you know, that's not true. I was like, He's going to fix this, right? You know, that's what I was thinking. And, and he was talking about how, how he was praying and nothing was happening. And the ladies sitting at the table with, with me, they were like, oh, you know, and he was, he was saying, oh, you know, I was praying that God would break this spirit of something or other that was dominating my life, you know. And, and, but I was praying in the name of Jesus. I was praying in the name of Jesus, and he says, it wasn't until I prayed by the blood of Jesus that my life changed. And they were all like, oh, man, you know, like if I could write a letter now, like dear younger me, right? It would be like invest in Apple, right? You know, like invest here and there and make sure that when this guy says this on this day, you slam him like piano keys, you know, like get him. Because those people, like, they think, oh, my access to Jesus is secondary. Because I'm not knocking on heaven's door saying, by your blood instead of in your name. That's absurd. God's not like that. You know, if you saw some parent talking to their kid and the kid was like, can I please have something to drink? And the parent was like, you didn't say it right. And they were like, please. And they're like, you didn't say it right. And then they're like, pretty pretty, pretty, please don't, like, here, here's something to drink. You're going to be like, you're weird, (laughs) right? God's not weird. He's not. He's a generous, he's not. He's not weird. I may be weird, your dad might be weird, but God's not weird. And then finally, Paul says, watch out for this, this temptation to impose rigorous regulations on yourself. He says, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, he's talking about the law here, the idea that obedience can earn life, right? The the law that, that God gave to Israel said, if you do this, you will live. And there was only one person who could come along and live that law, and that was Jesus. He lives the law perfectly and unlocks life for us. No other human being can do it. So he says, if you've died with him to those elementary principles, why, as if you were still alive in the world, outside of Christ, do you submit yourself to decrees like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? These are matters which, to be sure, Paul says, have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and and self-punishment and severe treatment of the body, but they're no value against fleshly indulgence. He says, don't be fooled into thinking that discipline or spiritual disciplines remove your capacity for sin. Don't think that, that if you build walls around your life and you like don't watch movies or you know, put buttons on your clothes or use electricity or whatever it is that you might want to do, it reduces your sinfulness and makes you more holy. It doesn't. It may decrease the number of actual sins But the capacity for sin is still there. And what we need to deal with our sin is Christ. Many people, they can get themselves buried under a heap of read through the Bible in a year. You know, I got to vote for the candidate that all the Christians are saying is the Christian candidate. Or I can't listen to this kind of music. Or I got to follow this pattern or way of living. And if I don't do this, then I'm not right. Paul says, don't think that that's what saves you. Because the the danger is that we allow it to creep in. If I don't do this, 
then God's not happy with me. Let, me. let me say something that might be a little controversial. You know, until they started printing Bibles, mass production, you couldn't read through the Bible in a year. Come on. You know? What did the, how were those Christians prior to having a printed Bible, how were they justified? How did they make it to heaven without reading through the Bible in a year? Listen, I'm a fan of reading through the Bible in a year, but not if it's going to completely and utterly freak you out and make you feel bad about yourself all the time. Like God doesn't love you. Does he love Christians who can't read and who are like, man, if I could read this thing, I'd do it in a year. No, he loves them. I mean, it sounds silly, but we do these things. I'm hoping that as I'm saying these things, you're like, okay, maybe I don't do that, but I do this. I do this. Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Just watch out and avoid being taken captive by things that would make you take your attention off of that which is amazing and beautiful and excellent. God says to us, I will make you righteous if you put your faith and trust in my son who gave his life to save you. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard that message. Maybe it's the hundredth time and you're like, I just haven't given myself over to him. My encouragement to you would be to say, Lord, I need a savior to purify my sins and give me righteousness. Make sure you do that today. And then second, let me, let me challenge you. If you've like, got your spiritual backpack on and you've piled it full of junk that you need to do in order to be righteous or you've got all these ideas of, of what the gospel is. It's like the gospel plus this and Jesus plus that. Just dump that junk and focus on Christ. He is all that we need. Don't let anything come between you and Christ. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you for your grace and kindness toward us. I thank you that you have made it so simple. Everyone everywhere in the world can hear your word. And when your spirit moves, they can say, yes, I believe that and I want it. That is beautiful when we hear the good news about Jesus. Father, I pray that our hearts would remain uncluttered and that we would regularly and routinely pull up the weeds of those things that get in the way of worshiping just Jesus. That you would remove the condemnation that comes from not being perfect all the time. And you would show us and teach us that what you've given to us is good. You've given us Christ, and in him we're complete. Lord, I pray that, that we would start on that path, we'd enter through that gate, and we would never leave that road all of our days. Father, thank you for giving us Jesus. I pray if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know him or hasn't put their faith and trust in him, I pray that today would be the day that they say, Jesus, you are all I need. Thank you for being my everything. Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us in Christ. We pray that you would continue to teach us what they are and how we lay hold of them. Help us to sink our roots deep in you, to protect ourselves from those things that would drag us away. We pray this, Lord, knowing that you're good. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song.